Welcome to the Mulcahy Law Firm Podcast. For over 25 years, Mulcahy Law Firm has helped plan communities and condominium associations throughout the state of Arizona. Please go to iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform and leave us a rating and a review. Here's Beth Mulcahy. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to class number three of our 2022 Virtual HOA Academy in partnership with the cities of Avondale, Chandler, Glendale, Goodyear, Mesa, Peoria, Phoenix, Scottsdale, Surprise, and Tempe. My name is Beth Mulcahy, and I'm the managing partner and senior attorney for the Mulcahy Law Firm in Phoenix, Arizona. I've enjoyed partnering with many of these cities uh, that I just mentioned, and also representing HOAs and condominiums as their legal counsel for the past 25 years. My firm currently represents over 1,000 planned communities and condominium associations throughout the state of Arizona. And I also serve on my HOA board and have for many years. So what's on our agenda for today? In today's class, we're going to be discussing everything you need to know about how to run legal and effective board meetings and your annual meeting. I'll be teaching you proper planning, agenda preparation, how to conduct a regular board meeting in an hour or less, how to have a successful annual meeting so that your owners feel really comfortable with how things are running at your association. I'm also going to cover the Arizona Open Meeting Law, which is probably one of the most important pieces of legislation that association boards need to follow. Using virtual meetings, which is our kind of our new normal since the COVID-19 pandemic. Executive sessions, when you can go into executive sessions, what you can discuss. Online voting, which is kind of a new trend that we're starting to see take hold throughout Arizona. Use of email to make decisions, minute taking, and how to have efficient and quick regular board meetings. I'm also going to show you how to shine at the annual meeting and how to really present to your homeowners a good 360 picture of what's going on in your association, good things and bad things. And then last, how do you get volunteers to run for the board? Some of you may be board members here wondering, is this a life sentence for me to serve on the board? So I'm going to give you some tips on how to have a succession plan so that you can have others that will also begin to serve on the board after you've served your time you'll be able to pass the torch to them and they'll be ready to run your association. Okay, let's get started on our topics for today. First things first, I do like to know who's joining us here today. With almost 90 people here today, um, we have a really great representation. And for those of you who are joining us on Zoom, I'm gonna be sharing a poll on your screen. If you're joining us on Facebook Live, please share your response in the comment section. So first question, in which city do you reside? And so we have all the different cities listed on the poll, which is on your screen right now. Um, Then we have a second question to let us know what your current role is. Are you a board member? Are you a community manager? Are you an interested homeowner? Or are you other? And these poll questions are helpful because it will help us tailor the class here today to show the best representation. Okay, as you can see from the results, we have 8% from Chandler, 3% from Glendale, 6% from Goodyear. 11% from Mesa, 2% from Peoria, 23% from Phoenix, 42% from Scottsdale, 3% from Surprise, and 2% from Tempe. So almost every city had great representation here today. We have a second poll now as well. Okay, so our our representation today is 62% of you are board members, 10% are community managers, 25% are interested homeowners, and 3% are other. 
bottom line is that we have a lot of representation from around the valley here today, which is awesome. Thank you for being here. And we have a large cluster of board members, community managers, and a small group of, of interested homeowners that are here today wanting to learn more about how to run board meetings and run annual meetings. So let's get right into our topics for today. The Arizona legislature, I always like to start the class and talk about kind of some hot topics. So today's class, we're going to be talking about what's going on in the legislature. As you probably know, um, the legislative session started in early January. Um, there are a ton of bills that have been introduced, over 800 in the House and over 700 in the Senate. We're currently watching 24 HOA bills, condo bills. And we each week while the legislature is in session, we are posting on our website a summary of all the pending legislation. Now, remember, these bills have not become law. These are the bills that are being discussed and voted on this year in the Arizona legislature. And the process to have bills pass is the House and the Senate both have to pass the bills, the same form of the bill. And then it goes to the governor to sign. So as of right now, none of these bills have passed. It's still kind of early in the legislative session. Some comments from being in the trenches of, you know, watching legislation for the past 25 years. I can give you some just general observations. The first observation I have is that this is going to be a large legislative year for HOAs and condominiums. We're coming off of two COVID years of the legislature where there was virtually new legislation passed of any substance pertaining to HOAs and condos. I can't think of one time in 25 years where we've had 24 bills we're monitoring. So I think the number alone speaks volumes. You know, just a quick summary of the bills. I don't want to go in depth on any of them because it doesn't make sense until they pass and become the law. But here are the trends that we're seeing on the bills that have been introduced this year. There's a number of different categories that we've categorized them in. So we're seeing bills on more permitted flags. So allowing first responder flags is a good example. So bills that would prohibit associations from prohibiting certain types of additional flags or something, also another flag on the armed services. Green bills. So we, we always see green bills where there's a normal legislative year, but this year we're seeing bills regarding artificial grass and associations not being able to prohibit that, and also solar and water conservation, which kind of goes hand in hand with a lot of the upcoming water restrictions that are going to be coming into play in Arizona in the next five years. Of course, we're seeing a ton of bills on vacation and short-term rentals, how to regulate those short-term rentals so that the neighbors um, have peace and so that the short-term renters are held accountable for their actions and the landlords are held accountable for their actions. So we've done many bills on that, I think over five. Amending association documents, creating a uniform percentage to amend documents um, is another thing that's being proposed. There's some other bills that talk about like political signs and peaceful assembly within an association. So being able to have members peacefully assemble within your association to discuss association or other issues. And last, there's some kind of scary bills taking away our ability to uh, some of our rights with regard to um, leaning properties and taking away the homestead exemption elimination. Or So how it works right now is that the, when we're foreclosing a lien, an assessment lien, the homestead exemption does not apply to the association's assessment lien. And basically what one of these really damaging bills says is that going forward, the HOA lien would be subject to the homestead exemption. And what that means is it would make it more difficult for associations to foreclose because 
owners would have protections in place whereby we, we couldn't foreclose. Um, it would make sense to foreclose based upon the fact that they would elect the homestead exemption on the property that they're residing in. So, you know, we're watching these bills very carefully. You know, I anticipate that the legislature is going to have a long legislative session this year and it likely will go into June. And so we'll continue to monitor it. Like I said, if you want the most recent update on what's going on in the legislature, all you need to do is go to our webpage at mulcahylawfirm.com. And we have a summary, like I said, every week of what's happening with each bill, um, a summary of the bills. And at the end of the legislative session, once the legislature closes for the year and the governor's time period to sign all bills passes, then we will put out a final legislative update cheat sheet like we always do. Okay, and I know that our office just shared with those of you who are on Zoom and Facebook Live with us our current uh, legislative summary update for this week. Okay, another hot topic is this condo questionnaire that's been put out by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Since the Champlain Towers collapse in Surfside, Florida, we have seen a lot of press coverage and we've seen, um, you know, different legislatures putting in place legislative mandates to ensure that buildings are constructed properly and that they are maintained properly. But one thing that we didn't kind of anticipate was that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were going to come in and they were going to put out a questionnaire. And this questionnaire actually just came out in January of 2022. And so we're hearing feedback from our condo associations that when they receive a request for the property being sold in a condominium, and there's a request for a disclosure statement to the association's board or to the management company, if the Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae is involved in the transaction, like they're you know, involved in the loan, they're asking that this condo questionnaire be filled out by the boards or the management companies. And again, this new policy just went into effect January 1st, 2022. So your association may have seen this if you're a condo, or maybe you will see it in the future. So I just want to give you a little warning on it. So the condo questionnaire asks a lot of questions about how the condominium is being maintained and the structural integrity of the building. And I know that CAI Community Associations Institute, which is a national think tank that provides free education to associations, has asked Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac to you know, not proceed forward with this questionnaire because it's, it contains a lot of open-ended information that could create liability for associations. Our firm also is taking the position that, you know, associations should carefully consider whether or not they want to fill out this form. Because if you're certifying that um, there are no structural deficiencies in the building, now the liability is being shifted to the association's board or the management company. And remember that the only thing that we're required under Arizona law to fill out and return to a buyer is a disclosure statement. Um, and that's by Arizona law and that gives information regarding associations. And that's all set out by statute. And my office just shared those with you on the screen on Zoom and Facebook Live if you want to do more of a deep dive. So really, you're going to have to make a decision if you're a condominium, whether or not you're going to fill out this form. You know, if you need our assistance navigating this, please be sure to reach out to our firm and we can give you individual advice based upon the needs of your association. But it's kind of a danger zone, I think, because the questions are very open-ended. And I don't think that the board can certify with absolute certainty without a structural engineer's report that your condominium 
doesn't have any deficiencies. So be really careful on that as you're looking at those forms if they're presented to your association. Okay, let's talk about our main topics for today, regular board meetings and annual meetings. So we have some great cheat sheets on our firm's website on both of these topics that I'd just like to bring to your attention. We have over 65 cheat sheets on a variety of topics that pertain to serving on your board, following Arizona law regarding condominiums and homeowners associations, tips on how to have a successful association. And two of those cheat sheets that we have our website at mulcahylawfirm.com are one that talks about community association board meetings, which we are sharing with you. And then another one called how to conduct successful annual meetings. And both of those are going to be more of a deep dive. So if you want to take a look at those after this presentation, it has some valuable information that can help you have a successful, efficient, regular board meeting and also a successful annual meeting. So that um, the one time of the year that you're meeting to give a 360 view of your association at your annual meeting you make it a really successful and productive meeting that provides assurances to your owners that you're doing a great job running the association. Let's first talk a little bit about the regular board meeting. So most of our boards are meeting monthly or quarterly with a few months off, maybe at at the December holidays or um, summertime when it might be difficult to get a quorum. Boards may not be meeting, but for the most part, most boards are meeting almost every month. And that's going to be your regular board meeting for your association. So one of the biggest problems that we see with board meetings is that they just take forever, number one, and they uh, you don't accomplish anything. You just kind of go round and round in a circle. And, you know, that really does provide frustration to the board members who are serving and also to the homeowners who may be attending to listen on a certain topic, etc., So what I'm going to try to do today is give you a blueprint for how to have a successful regular board meeting, how to comply with the law, how to be efficient with your time so that you can try to have a one hour board meeting. So the first thing I want to mention is that to have a successful regular board meeting, you really have to have proper planning, planning on the front end of the meeting so that the actual meeting runs really efficiently. And that's necessary if you want to have a really business-like short regular board meeting, you have to plan ahead. And so here's some things that we suggest you do to plan ahead. So number one, um, your board should have a board packet for all board members. Typically, the manager creates the board packet and distributes it to the board several days in advance of the meeting. If you're self-managed, then maybe the president or the treasurer of the association or the secretary handles putting out information in the form of a board packet. Um, And typically, what the board packet will contain is minutes from last month's board meeting or your previous board meeting. Financial information about your association such as maybe copies of your bank statement, copies of your balance sheet and your financial statements for the association, delinquency list of owners who may be delinquent in payment of assessments, status report from an attorney who may be handling some of your files for delinquent owners or other litigation for your association, committee information. So if you have any special committees that have been put in place, maybe they have a report or maybe they have some bids for the board, the management company's report or the manager's report, the treasurer's report, maybe the president's going to have some comments and they have a report in there. Any important association correspondence or bids that you may be voting on at that meeting. And most importantly, the meeting agenda. All of this information should be provided in the board packet for all board members. 
And the packet should be arranged in the same chronological order as the meeting agenda. So, of course, you look at the board packet, you should have the agenda right on top and then have the paperwork that mirrors the agenda directly following the agenda in the packet. And, you know, it should be in the same order as it is listed on the agenda. It's good to label items if you're getting an actual paper copy of the agenda and place them in the agenda section in which they'll be addressed. Sometimes boards even use colored paper to distinguish the different sections on the in the board packet to, to match the agenda. Okay, about 10 days before the board meeting, typically the board president and the manager will start working on the agenda for the board meeting. And this is all part of your prep process to get ready for the board meeting. A properly planned agenda will provide organization and will shorten the length of the meetings. Um, remember, the agenda is the backbone of the board packet and should have enough detail to help board members prepare for the meeting. So the typical agenda items that we see are gonna be like the name of the association, it's gonna be at the top of the agenda. The type of meeting it is, if it's a regular board meeting or the March 2022 board meeting for ABC Association, the date, the start time, the first thing typically that you do is establish a quorum at a regular board meeting. Then you approve the next month's meeting minutes. Then you have your officer reports. Then you have your committee reports. Then maybe you have your manager's reports. And you can kind of play around with how this is structured on your agenda. If you want the manager to go first or whatever, you can do that too. And then you're going to maybe have old business, new business um, on the agenda. Some suggestions for you on the agenda. Put benchmark times on the agenda. Now, this is going to be tip number one on how to make sure that your board has a one-hour board meeting. So, for example, on your agenda, you should say the meeting is promptly starting. Let's give an example at 8.15 a.m. And there'll be establishment of a quorum at 8.15. From 8.17 to 8.20, we will be reviewing last month's meeting minutes. And you know, that'll be just listed right on the agenda in parentheses. From 8.20 to 8.30, we'll have the manager's report. From 8.30 to 8.40, we'll have the treasurer's report. From 8.40 to 8.50, we'll have, you know, new business, you know, and, and just set it up, you know, what you think the time period is, is needed for each subject. Also, some associations start the meeting with a homeowner forum where the, either the first 10 minutes of the meeting are the time for homeowners to come to the meeting and ask questions or make a statement. So that's also something that you can put on your timed agenda. Most associations do that, you know, right at the beginning of the meeting, maybe even before the meeting starts, they'll have a homeowner forum for 10 minutes. And you can place time limitations on how long those owners speak during the homeowner forum so that the owners don't go on and on and make your meeting longer than it needs to be. Okay, let's talk a little bit about, you know, we're going to go into this in more detail, but typically your agenda will also have on the agenda a notation about going into executive session. Most boards do go into executive session at the end of the regular open board meeting. And so under Arizona law, you are required to list the topics that you will be discussing during executive session. Um, we're going to be talking about that in just a minute, but I, I didn't want to leave the topic of the agenda without saying that the agenda should also have a portion of the agenda indicating that the board will be going into executive session, the time they'll be going into executive session, and the topics they will be discussing consistent with Arizona law for um, executive session meetings. And just so you know, you are required under Arizona law to indicate 
on your notice of meeting for your annual meeting, excuse me, for your executive session meeting, the topics that you'll be discussing during the executive session meeting. And again, we're going to talk a little bit more detail on that in a minute. Okay, so some of you may be familiar with the notice requirements for um, having a regular board meeting or an executive session board meeting. So what type of notice do you have to have for these regular or executive session board meetings? So under Arizona law, regardless of what your documents may state, notice must be given to your members of any regular board meeting, of any regularly scheduled committee meeting, or any executive session meeting of your board at least 48 hours in advance of that meeting. And you can do that by putting out an agenda that has the information regarding your upcoming board meeting or your upcoming committee meeting or your upcoming executive session meeting. You just need to have the date, time, and location of the meeting on that whatever form that you put it out in. It could be an agenda, it could be a newsletter, you could do sandwich boards at the entrances of the community. Just remember, it needs to be done 48 hours in advance of the meeting. Our firm, of course, suggests that you provide a detailed agenda with the notice of meeting or you make the detailed agenda at the notice of meeting um, to comply with the requirements of providing notice of the meeting 48 hours in advance of the meeting. If you have an emergency where your board can't wait 48 hours to provide notice to the membership, there's a special exception under Arizona law that allows the board to have what we call an emergency board meeting. And if that happens, the 48 hours notice is suspended um, and you don't have to give it. It's not required under the law. You do have to take minutes at that emergency board meeting. And at the next regularly scheduled board meeting for your association, you have to read into the record that you had an emergency meeting and what was decided and have those minutes attached to the regular next regular board meeting that you have. So there's a good paper trail as to why you went into executive and why you went into have an emergency board meeting and what was decided in that emergency board meeting. Okay, let's talk a little bit about some other aspects of you know, running your meeting. So another really important tip is having your, your board meeting in a business environment. So, you know, some different examples of places that are a good place to have your regular board meeting would be at your clubhouse, at your association's pool, management company conference room, a rented room at a school or a church. Select a location that is going to be quiet so that your board can conduct business, have enough room for residents and the board to be in the same room, you know, discussing things, make it comfortable for everybody so they have a chair. Um, you don't want to have it be, you know, like sardines in a can where there's not enough room and people are packing into the room and it's uncomfortable. Prohibit smoking, alcohol at board meetings. Um, both of those things would not be, you know, conducive to a board meeting. You should have an agenda available for your residents if they are attending the meeting in person. If you're doing a, and that's the requirement of the law, just so you know, if you're doing virtual meetings, a lot of our clients are still doing virtual meetings for efficiencies and because they just prefer doing virtual meetings now that they became accustomed to doing it while the pandemic has been um, ongoing. If you're doing a virtual meeting, just remember you need to either share the agenda as a screen share on your Zoom call or your whatever virtual platform that you're using so that if owners want to follow along, they have a copy of the agenda. 
Um, you also can you know, comply with that by sending out the agenda by email to all the owners or posting it on the common areas too, but you do have to provide an agenda to all of your owners. One more thing about the notice. So if you're having a virtual meeting, important to remember that if, you know, when you're putting out your notice, your 48 hours notice of the meeting, we recommend that you have the Zoom link or the login information on that notice so that it makes it easy for owners to find it if they want to log in for the regular board meeting. And a lot of associations have that login information also on their website. So if owners you know, are trying to log in the day of the meeting, they just go to the website, they can click the link and it's really easy for them to attend the regular board meeting. I'd like some feedback from you right now. It's always helpful to hear what's going on in your association. And it's, it's hard when we're teaching these classes virtually to connect with you and to make sure that I'm understanding what's going on in your association. So we have a poll question for you. The question is, how are your board meetings currently being held? Are you having in-person? Are you having your meetings virtually? Are you doing a hybrid of in-person and virtually? Or are you not meeting at all? Okay, great feedback. So we're having 38% are virtual. 37%, excuse me, 38% are in-person, 37% are virtual, 22% are hybrid, and 2% are not meeting at all. Um, a couple thoughts. So it's really the numbers are starting to show that people are really adapting to having the virtual board meetings. And as you can see, you know, we're almost hand in hand if, if it's just in-person or virtual, it's, you know, 38, 37%. And the hybrid, which gives people an opportunity to appear virtually and in person, um, really puts it over the top because um, you can see that there was a really large percentage of, of associations that have adapted to allowing owners to appear virtually. And I, I really do think this is going to be something that will stay with us in the future just because it makes it easy for board members and homeowners to attend, whether they live in-state or out-of-state. And there are some efficiencies. And, and in some cases, there's control, better control over the meetings if you have difficult or disgruntled owners that you know come in and hijack your meetings. So great information, great feedback. It's kind of what we have been anticipating. I know our firm is mainly attending is mainly attending right now. Sorry, we just had a little technical difficulty there. Our firm is mainly attending meetings virtually as well right now, mostly because associations have recognized that they don't want to pay for uh, the lawyer's travel time to come to their meeting. And it's just efficient and smarter just to put, put us right on the screen and, and appear virtually at your board meetings. Okay, let's go on and give you some tips, some additional tips on how you can comply with the open meeting law. So remember, Arizona has its own open meeting law just for condominiums and planned communities. And it's different than the open meeting law that applies to school boards and city councils. And basically, the, the bottom line on meetings are that anytime a quorum of the board is meeting to discuss association business, or anytime you have a regularly scheduled committee meeting, we need to comply with the Arizona open meeting law. And basically what that law says is that Anytime there's a quorum of the board or a quorum of a regularly scheduled committee meeting, that meeting is required to be open to all association members or their designated representatives. And members or their designated representatives are allowed to attend and speak at appropriate times during the deliberations of the meeting. You know, the bottom line is, is that owners have a right to, you know, have notice of the meeting. We already talked about that 48 hours in advance. Anytime there's a quorum of the board meeting to discuss association business or anytime we 
have a situation where, sorry, we're having some technical difficulties today. Okay, everybody, we had a little technical difficulty, but um, I have a great team and they've already converted me to a different computer. So sorry about that. Okay, so we're talking about the open meeting law and some points on the open meeting law would be, remember, we talked about the 48 hours notice. We talked about the fact that owners should be allowed to attend, listen and participate anytime we have a quorum of the board meeting to discuss association business or anytime we have a regularly scheduled committee meeting. Something that can sometimes be problematic is knowing when to allow owners to speak during a regularly scheduled board meeting. So um, one you know, suggestion on this is we talked about already about having a homeowner forum at the beginning of the board meeting, setting aside 10 minutes and letting owners to talk. That's one way that you can comply with this. Another way that you can comply with this would be to before the board takes formal action on something, the board is required to allow owners to contribute if they choose or if they want to contribute. So how most boards handle this is that they will start the meeting after the homeowner forum and they'll just start you know, conducting their business. And before the board takes a vote on something, so typically there's a a motion, a second, and then there's a discussion before the board votes on something. If an owner pipes up and says, hey, I want to contribute, the board will let that owner contribute or should let that owner contribute to be in compliance with the Arizona Open Meeting Law. Just so that you're aware of that, there are, that is a requirement that if an owner wants to speak before the board takes formal action on something, we are required to do that. Let's switch gears and talk a little bit now about executive sessions. We already talked about the fact that you have to notice executive session meetings 48 hours in advance of the meeting, even though owners aren't allowed to attend the executive session unless the board invites them to attend. So the executive session is typically the time that the board is meeting together alone without the owners there. Um, but you still have to give notice of the executive session so that owners know that you're meeting discussing executive session topics. You have to stay within the allowable executive session topics under Arizona law. And the notice that you put out there has to indicate which topics you're going to be discussing during executive session under that law. And so what are the different categories that you can go into executive session? for. Number one, legal advice from an attorney for the board or the association. So if I've given you an opinion letter, if I've sent an email to a board member or a manager regarding a legal opinion on any topic or just advice on any topic, you can go into executive session to talk about that. You can go into executive session to talk about any litigation that you're thinking about filing or any litigation that you're currently involved in for your association. Those are, you know, another topic that you can go into executive session to talk about. And we don't really see this one very often, but I'm mentioning it because it's part of the law. So anytime you're discussing personal health or financial information about a member of the association, independent contractor of the association or an employee of the association. Next category is anytime you're discussing job performance of compensation of health records of or specific complaints against an individual employee of the association or an independent contractor of the association. And then the final executive session topic is discussion of an owner's appeal for any fine or citation that they may receive. Those are the most common topics that we see. So as a rule of thumb, boards are typically only going into executive sessions to talk about legal advice from an attorney 
um, any litigation you may be thinking about filing or any litigation that you may be involved in. And basically, performance and compensation of your vendors. Those are the most common topics that we are seeing. You know, moving forward, um, some things to avoid in executive session um, would be getting off course. So, anytime you're moving back into topics that should be discussed during the open session, that's a big no no. So, don't do that. Also, hiring and firing of vendors, discussions regarding your budget. These are all things that need to be done in the open session. So be really careful. Stay in the right lane when you're having your board meetings. Open board meetings versus closed board meetings or executive session meetings, there's a big distinction. And once you go into executive session, you should only really be talking about the most common executive session topics, which are, again, advice from your attorney, pending or contemplated litigation, and typically job performance and compensation of your vendors or your employees. Okay, um, let's switch over and talk a little bit about informal board meetings. I get this question all the time, so I'm going to ask answer it. So what if your board is walking the neighborhood to go look at a violation or an architectural issue, and it's a quorum of the board and you're discussing association business? Is that an open board meeting? Yes, it is. So quorum of the board, discussing association business, you need to notice that meeting 48 hours in advance. Now, is that practical? Probably not. What we recommend that you do is have less than a quorum, go look at something together so then it's not an official board meeting, or maybe have the board members individually go and look at a violation or whatever you know you might be doing. So those are some some tips to you know work around that particular issue. Another some other comments would be you know some suggestions for regular board meetings and actually executive sessions is don't forget to use parliamentary procedure as you're conducting these meetings. You know some boards say oh we have to follow Robert's rules of order. I mean Robert's rules of order is very complex large series rules that associations have would have to follow if they adopt Robert's rules of order. We don't suggest that. We suggest that if your bylaws don't require you to follow Robert's rules of order that you just take the parliamentary procedure, the best tips from that and utilize them as you're operating in your board meetings. So stick to the agenda is a, a rule of parliamentary procedure. So don't go veering off into other topics that are going to make the meeting longer. Discuss one subject at a time. Give each board member an opportunity to speak if they want to before a board member would be able to speak a second time on an issue. Speak only about the topic being discussed. Don't be going off on some other topic. Speak only when recognized by the chair. The, the board president or the chair is running the meeting. And so if things start getting out of control with homeowner comments or board member comments, the chair really needs to get the meeting back under control and state who has the floor and who can be discussing a topic. And then, of course, most basic rule of parliamentary procedure is decide things by motions, seconds, and votes. Okay, my final tips on how to keep your you know, meeting moving. Adhere to the agenda, right? Look at those benchmark times and stick to them. Board members should arrive on time and be prepared, have already reviewed the board packet before the meeting. Even if you only spend five to seven minutes looking at it, that is prepared, being prepared for the meeting so that you are familiar with what's going to be discussed and you are ready to come in and make decisions for your community. Um, the board president, a tip to keep the meeting moving, you are the team captain. You are the person, the bottom line is with you, that the buck stops with you, that if the meetings are running over an hour, it's unfortunately your fault. You are in charge of keeping these meetings running efficiently, staying on top of being on track of the agenda, 
and sticking to the benchmark times that we talked about earlier in this presentation. So, and a good way to, if you have a problem, like sometimes I mentioned, I serve on my board. Sometimes we get stuck on a topic on our agenda and we're dangerously close to going over the 10 minutes that we allocated the topic. And frankly, it's, it's not going anywhere. Like we're at a, basically we can't agree as a board how we want to move forward. That's the time that the president should say, okay, let's table this issue and let's put this on next month, month's agenda. We can't come to any final conclusions today. Think about it over the next month, come back and we'll talk about this issue again and hopefully be able to move forward on this issue. Keep the discussion focused on association business. And this is where the president really does need to step in. If people start veering off to a totally left field topic that's not on the agenda, the president needs to gently go back to the board and say, we're off topic. We need to stay on topic. If we have time at the end, we can talk about that issue. Another great topic for you know keeping the meeting moving and accomplishing things at board meetings is your manager or whoever brings an issue to the board should present the issue with a solution or solutions. Okay, so let's say that you have an issue where there's a tree roots that are causing damage to a wall and the owner's contacting the association regarding the damage to the wall. They're claiming it's the association's common area tree that's causing the damage. When that issue is presented on the agenda for your association's board meeting, there should be different things that we can do. Number one, have we sent somebody out there to um, an expert to look at the tree to determine should the tree be removed? Can the tree roots be cut back? Is the tree actually causing damage to the wall, as the owner saying? And so we've got the issue. And then we have different suggestions or solutions on how to handle this from somebody that's, you know, is qualified to provide that information. Maybe if it's going to be a large expenditure that you have to spend to come up with the solution, then at, when the issue is presented, the manager or whoever is doing the agenda says, you know, I recommend that we hire a structural engineer, whoever we need for this particular purpose, and then give us a couple different names and bids by them to come out and look at the property so that we're actually getting things done at the meeting. And it's not just like, you know, we discuss the tree root issue for four months before we get somebody out to look at it. Be proactive and think ahead so that the board can come to the meeting and vote. Let's talk a little bit now about the use of email to, you know, basically violate the open meeting law. So be really careful on this. The legislature has spoken. They feel that in Arizona, if a quorum of the board is meeting to discuss association business, that your board should be conducting an open board meeting and giving 48 hours notice to the membership and allowing the members to attend in person or virtually, depending on how your association is running your meetings now. You want to be really careful about making decisions of your board via email. Uh, there might be some exceptions in truly emergency circumstances where we can't wait the 48 hours and we have to make a decision by email, but those are very few and far between. Also, be really careful about management companies and boards that are promoting using unanimous consent by email to make decisions with the board. It's our firm's opinion that this is contrary to the Arizona Open Meeting Law. In fact, there have been two administrative law cases decided in the past five years that indicate that this violates the Arizona Open Meeting Law. So be really careful on that. I know it's easier to do it that way, but you are going to get yourself into trouble. If you have made decisions like that in between meetings by email or by unanimous written consent, at the very next open board meeting, make sure you 
reaffirm that decision um, in an open board meeting so that there's a paper trail that that was decided at an open board meeting. But again, our firm is is opposed to using unanimous consent forms in lieu of having an open board meeting because we think it violates the law. Okay, let's talk a little bit about meeting minutes. We have on our cheat sheet, we talk about how to have perfectly proper meeting minutes. Um, Our board members cheat sheet, I encourage you to take a look at that because it gives valuable information on what should be in the minutes, how long they should be. The bottom line is meeting minutes really should only be one page. And they reflect who was present in terms of the decision makers, the board members, and what was decided by the board. So the votes are the most important things that the meeting minutes should document. Um, And I'd encourage you to take a look at our cheat sheet for a more deep dive on how to take perfectly proper meeting minutes. Also, if you have conflict in your board meetings, maybe it's conflict with a difficult owner that comes or maybe conflict between your board's board members. Our cheat sheet on board meetings also has some great tips on how to handle that conflict as it comes up at your board meetings. And we're going to be teaching a class here, I think, next month on how to deal with difficult people. So um, we'll be addressing that issue more next month. But if if you've got a hot topic right now in your association, you're dealing with it, check out our cheat sheet on board meetings because we talk about how to deal with conflict significantly on those board meetings. Okay, let's talk a little bit about annual meetings now. So how can a board shine at an annual meeting? Your annual meeting is going to be your once a meeting, your once a year meeting of your entire community. You're required to have an annual meeting under Arizona law. And it's really your time to present to the owners the state of your association, good and bad, challenges you've had, accomplishments you've had, goals for the next year. It's typically your highest attendance meeting. You really do have to do planning for your annual meeting well in advance of your annual meeting. So for example, if your annual meeting is in June, it's March, you should be doing planning right now. And some of the planning that you need to do would be to secure the location that you're going to have the annual meeting. If you're going to have it in a virtual platform, that's fine. Just making sure that you're getting that virtual platform set up. Finding candidates to run for the open positions on the board, you'll want to check your bylaws to see you know, what type of requirements your bylaws may have a nominating committee or you, know, you may not have that. Maybe your community sends out a letter to the membership asking for volunteers to serve on the board. You need to really back that out a few months in advance because we need those names to put on the notice of annual meeting and the ballots, the absentee ballots to be used at the annual meeting. Sometimes it's hard to get board members, right? We can't, we send out the notice asking, hey, anybody interested in running for the board and no one gives us their name. So, you know, some things that you could do would be to ask for volunteers, send out a letter, like I said, pinpoint people in the community who you think might be good board members, call them, ask them if they'll volunteer to help. If you don't get any volunteers to serve on the board, you may need to get your attorney involved and have your attorney send a letter to the association explaining that, hey, if we don't have board members to run our community, our community may have to go into a receivership. And that's going to cost a lot more money um, in the form of increased assessment amounts to pay for the receiver to run the association. And so those are just some suggestions on how to get people to run for the board. Okay, annual meeting, same kind of game plan for the annual meeting that you would have for a regular board meeting. You want to, like I said, be prepared in advance, have a timeline that you create for your annual meeting. And the timeline should indicate, you know, when you're going to request candidates to run for the board. So 
send out a letter asking for people to volunteer on the board. The timeline should also include when the notice of meeting should be given for the annual meeting. And remember, under Arizona law, you have to give notice not less than 10, not more than 50 days in advance of the annual meeting. That's despite what your documents may say, you got to follow what Arizona law says. So you want to have that all calendared there. The notice of annual meeting and the meeting packet that you send to the owners, lots of times you're putting the agenda in there. You're putting the absentee ballot, of course, the notice of annual meeting. You may also want to include last year's annual meeting minutes because owners are going to be asked to vote on that on the absentee ballot. And so you want to make sure that if they're voting on it, that they have a copy of it so that they can review it. And so all that information is going to go out prior to the annual meeting. And then closer to the annual meeting, you'll want to confirm if you're having it in person that the venue is that you've confirmed that you've reserved the venue. You'll want to have the board have a little pre-meeting. You know, it may need to be an open meeting if you have a majority of the board there, where you plan out how you're going to run the annual meeting. A lot of boards use a PowerPoint presentation um, and have handouts for the owners that they, they will either share on the screen if it's a virtual meeting or that they will give in person. And just really what the board should be thinking is our presentation should be an orderly discussion of our financials in the association. What is our current financial status and state? You should talk about the budget, the year-to-date budget. You know, how we come up with the assessment amount, why we need that amount, what our expenses are. You should be talking about how certain things are getting more expensive for associations. Overseeding is one thing that comes to mind right away. Getting supplies for many associations is more significantly more expensive. You know, talking about the challenges that are facing your association, whether it's difficult owners or coming up with a long-term plan for your community for, you know, maintenance of your amenities, whatever the issues are that are facing your association, maybe you don't have enough money and you need to have an orderly presentation as to why we need to have a special assessment. Or maybe you're converting turf to desert landscaping. You may want to bring in an expert to come in and and show pictures um, on the screen as to you know this is how it will look if we do a turf conversion to desert landscaping. So The key thing to remember if you're running the annual meeting as a board is make it an orderly presentation. Provide value to the owners. Let them know what the current state of the association is. Let them know what your goals are and show them that you are running this in a business-like manner so that they have a high comfort level, um, how the board is, is operating and running. Um, and those really are you know, my best tips. Same thing for the annual meeting as with a regular board meeting, you typically will have a time for the homeowners to give input. Typically, the annual meeting runs in the following way, like you'll have your meeting will open, you'll establish a quorum of members present. That quorum will be established by looking at the members that are attending in person or virtually, and then the members that have returned an absentee or mail-in ballot. And you, prior to the meeting starting, you should know what your quorum is by looking at your bylaws. And you, know, you should be walking into the meeting, frankly, with the quorum already, you know, know that you already have the quorum. If you're a little short on getting the quorum, a week or two before the meeting, you should be tracking, okay, how many ballots have we received? Are we close to the quorum? If you aren't, continue to send out reminders to your owner saying, hey, our annual meeting is on X date. We really need you to either attend in person or virtually or to return the absentee or mail-in ballot so that we can actually conduct the meeting, the annual meeting. So when you get into the meeting, you're going to 
establish the quorum, like I said, you're going to approve last year's meeting minutes. Just kind of a practice pointer on that. The board doesn't vote on that. The owners at the meeting vote on it. So you'll look at all of the the absentee and mail-in ballots. Typically, it's very rare that anyone votes no to approve last year's meeting minutes. And then for those ballots will be counted and it'll be determined whether or not those meeting minutes from last year's annual meeting will pass. And so typically what, how it works at the meeting is that somebody from the audience makes a motion. The board president will call for a motion from the audience, a second, and then all those in favor of approving last month's meeting minutes. And everybody typically says, I, if there's some sort of dissent on it, then you'll want to go and check the actual absentee and mail-in ballots and, and make sure that we have a majority of the votes approving it, which, like I said, in 25 years, I've never seen the annual meeting minutes from the prior year not pass. So um, then you'll get into the financials. So the treasurer will typically typically get up and, and talk about what, how much money the association has. Maybe sometimes they use a pie chart and they put a graphics up there of how the association's money is spent. I think you'll be surprised to see that a great majority of the money is spent on the management company and on landscaping for each association. Um, and then maybe talk about the year-to-date budget and any large financial considerations for that particular year. The manager will typically give up and, and give a manager's report on behalf of the management managing the association, the president may get up and give a a president's report. Usually we close the voting of the the ballots at this point. Maybe you close it right when the meeting starts. And any ballots that have either come in um, may have already been counted the day of the annual meeting, the ones that came in absentee ballot by mail or fax or email. And those ballots have already been counted before the annual meeting. If you have a large volume or maybe you're counting them that live at the meeting, and then anybody who you know hands in a ballot at the meeting in person, you just add that to the tally. Um, typically, the inspectors of elections, so you'll typically have two volunteers from the audience who are counting the ballot, maybe with the oversight of the manager or the attorney of the association, if the attorney's present. Um, they're counting while the owners are doing their homeowner forum during the annual meeting. So it's a really efficient use of time at the annual meeting. So we... Counting the ballots typically takes a long time. So you want to be prepared going into the annual meeting. We recommend that you count all the absentee and mail-in ballots prior to the meeting starting. And then you only count the ones at the meeting are the ones that are turned in at the meeting. And then the homeowner forum, you're kind of tidying up all the ballot counting, coming up with the final tallies. After the homeowner forum, you know, we typically will give the official tally to the president. There'll be an announcement as to who the new board members are. And maybe there might be some parting questions that owners may have, or maybe the homeowner forum is extending long. Maybe there's some additional questions from homeowners during this time. Be polite as a board member to the owners that are asking questions. Be respectful. They may not, the owners may not have listened in on every meeting throughout the year. So do your best to answer their questions. Even if they're upset or angry, they may not have all the facts. So you want to just be really mindful of being professional and nice and responsive and businesslike as you're responding to their questions. And then basically there's a motion to adjourn and the meeting's over. One thing that comes up sometimes at the annual meeting is do we decide who our officers are for the next year at the end of the annual meeting? It really just depends. A lot of associations have the board go right into a regular board meeting and elect who are going to be the officers for that year. So the president, vice president, secretary, and treasurer. Some boards wait until the next regularly scheduled board meeting to do that. So it's, it's really just how your board 
operates, what they typically have done in the past. I'd like to just close out by just making a couple comments on voting electronically at board meetings. We're starting to see technology coming into play in annual meetings of associations. And so one of the things that we're seeing is boards that are utilizing companies to handle the entire vote electronically for your association. Um, You want to take a look at your association's bylaws to make sure that there's nothing in there that would prohibit that. If you are conducting an election or another vote electronically, I mean, there's companies that do that. If you want the names of the companies that we are familiar with, you're welcome to email me at bmulcahy at mulcahylawfirm.com. Our experience on it is these companies, they do a great job. You know, they assign an email to, or excuse me, a password to everybody in the community to vote. And owners, they get the notice to vote by email and they type in that little password that they have and then they vote, you know, electronically. A couple things to think about if you're thinking about voting electronically. Number one, not all your owners may have the capability to participate in the election vote or a vote uh, that requires, you know, recommending CCNRs or special assessment vote electronically. So you likely will have to offer hybrid, meaning that people can opt in to vote by a paper ballot if they choose. So you may not be able to do 100% unless you have knowledge that 100% of your owners actually have the capability to vote electronically. Um, Another thing, remember that the notice of any sort of meeting of the membership or annual meeting of your association, it still does need to be mailed to the owners. So you can't by US mail. So you can't send that by email. Another alternative under the law is to hand deliver, but for most associations, it's not possible to hand deliver to everybody. So everybody is following the, you know, you have to provide notice of the meeting by US mail, not less than 10, not more than 50 days in advance of the meeting. Using electronic voting is kind of the thing of the future. So if your association is interested in looking into that, please give us a call and we can um, put you in touch with the companies that do that. We haven't had any problems. I've probably overseen at least 50 meetings now where they've used um, an electronic voting company to tally the votes and there haven't been any problems. So that's good news. And I think it's probably the wave of the future for associations as people become you know, more accustomed to voting for things electronically. Okay, so I think we've kind of uh, finished up our topics for today. Just some quick summary pointers. We had over 100 people here today, which is awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. Remember when you're thinking about your regular board meetings, just some closing parting thoughts on that. If you want to have an efficient meeting, make sure that you're doing proper preparation for the meeting that you are sending out an agenda, that you're doing notice in compliance with Arizona law, that the agenda has the benchmark times on it for how long you're going to be discussing each topic and that the president keeps everybody on topic as you are, um, you know, going through the meeting agenda. If your meetings are running long, you know, some tips are that the president really needs to take a hard look in the mirror and determine if they are keeping enough control over the topics that are being discussed at the meeting and really following that benchmarked agenda. Be really careful about violating the open meeting law in Arizona. Um, The legislature has spoken and 
all board all board meetings, the association or quorum of the board is meeting to discuss association business need to be open board meetings complying with the open meeting law. So 48 hours notice in advance of the meeting. You have to allow owners to attend, listen, and participate before the board takes formal action on something. You might be able to expedite things at your meeting by having a homeowner forum at the beginning of the meeting where homeowners can you know, have one minute to state something that they want to say about the association or ask a question. Going into your annual meeting, don't forget to plan it out. So map out on a calendar important benchmark dates for trying to find candidates, sending out you know requests for people to run for the board, when your notice needs to go out, when your ballots, typically the ballots and the notice are sent out at the same time. All of that needs to be pre-planned. And then remember, go into your annual meeting with a plan. Consider having a PowerPoint presentation Make it really professional talking about, you know, all the different aspects of running the association and give them a 360 view of how things are going. Because that may be the only meeting that year that some of your owners attend. Okay, so let's talk about the questions. Looks like we have a lot of great questions here today. I'm seeing about 15 questions. So we're going to start right in with the questions. So the first one is, this owner would like a clarification regarding 331818, which is Arizona revised statute pertaining to planned communities. An HOA with its CCNRs recorded prior to 2014 with provisions prohibiting overnight street parking would not have that provision invalidated if amendment on an unrelated issue, short-term rentals, was passed after the law went into effect in 2014, correct? It seems to me that logically only the unrelated amendment is being recorded, and this would not invalidate any other provisions of the CCNRs, even if that last sentence refers to a declaration. And by official definition, any amendment is a declaration. Okay, so this is a great question. This is a gray area under the law. So several years ago, a new law was passed that said that regardless of what your association documents say, after the declarant is no longer in control, um, an association doesn't have authority to regulate roadways for streets that have been dedicated to a city or governmental entity. And it only applies to those planned communities for which the declaration is recorded after December 31st, 2014. Okay. So if you have an association that is a planned community and that their declaration was recorded after December 31st, 2014, so starting in 2015, the association cannot regulate on-street parking if that street has been dedicated to a city, town, municipality, county, or another government governmental entity. So the question is, this association had CCNRs recorded before 2014, right? And so they're wondering, well, is an amendment that we did after December 31st, 2014, does that invalidate our parking provisions? Because technically, the amendment it was an amendment to the declaration. Does this section kick in? I wish I could give you an answer on this. My inclination is no. Okay, but there's no court that has interpreted this. And the rationale for me to say, no, I don't think it invalidates the parking restrictions in your CCNRs because you did a short-term rental amendment after December 31st, 2014. Because the language in the statute doesn't say doesn't say anything about amendments to the declaration. I think the intent of this section was that this applies to new communities, new plan communities where the developer is creating a new community after December 31st, 2014. So, but I can't give you a definitive answer because 
we don't know yet how a court's going to interpret this. We kind of have to take a wait and see approach. But my inclination is that your amendment did not invalidate your parking restrictions. Okay, next question. Uh, my HOA has its annual meeting coming up shortly. And this question's from an owner. I've notified both the board president and our community manager of the requirements for annual meeting voting prior, according to your cheat sheet. Specifically, ballots must be mailed to all members of the community. As of today, this still hasn't happened. That said, I've been told we're holding the vote for new vote for new directors via Vote HOA, an online service. Despite my squawking, neither the president nor the community manager have made provisions for mail-in ballots or hand-delivered ballots. I'm since told postcards with voting instructions will be mailed to the homeowners. Is the voting okay with vote HOA only, or must we still provide a means of mail-in voting and hand-delivered votes? This is a great question. Actually, I just literally did an opinion, opinion letter on this this morning prior to coming on this call. So the bottom line is, is that electronic voting is allowable under Arizona law. There are provisions, you know, in the Planned Communities Act, the Condominium Act that allows boards to have electronic voting by its membership. But we also need to look at what the absentee ballot um, and mail-in ballot law says. And that law for planned communities and condominiums says that owners should be allowed to vote in person at the meeting, at the annual meeting or special meeting of the membership, in addition to, you know, the ability to vote electronically through an absentee or mail-in ballot. So, you know, what I would recommend for your association is, of course, they can use Vote HOA, which is, you know, this online service, assuming that there's nothing in your bylaws that would prohibit something like that. And probably there won't be. But they should also, in the notice of the meeting, or maybe even on that postcard, say that if you choose not to vote using Vote HOA, you can vote in person at the meeting, or you can contact the office, the manager, whatever, and ask for a paper ballot. You know, and then you can return that absentee ballot by mail if you so choose. So giving them options, I think, is the way to fully comply with the law. You got to be really careful on this because it's a lot of associations just think when they use this online voting company that they're just going to handle everything and we're not going to do in-person voting. Well, there's a problem with that because the statute in Arizona for condominiums and planned communities says that owners should be given an opportunity to vote in person at the meeting. And if an owner elects to vote in person at the meeting, you have to let them do that. And then there's kind of that gray area that if somebody doesn't have the technology or doesn't want to vote using the online service, giving them a way to get a paper ballot by contacting a number is the right and appropriate thing to do. Okay, next question. The, in the board code of conduct cheat sheet, there's some language underlined. And I'm assuming that you're talking about our board, our cheat sheet on the code of conduct for a firm. The board cannot require directors to sign a code of conduct unless the association's documents require a code of conduct be signed. What's the reference that stipulates that the code of conduct need to be in the association's documents? Is it in Arizona law? Our board election is coming up and our management company is requiring candidates to sign a very restrictive code of conduct. And example, this would be no social media use or some other stipulations that they have in there. To be considered as a candidate, you have to sign the code of conduct, yet the association documents are silent about a code of conduct. How can I refuse the code yet run as a candidate? 
Okay, so really good question. So the code of conduct cheat sheet is something that our firm brings out when we're handling an extremely dysfunctional situation on a board. That's the reality here. There is nothing under Arizona law that requires board members to sign a code of conduct to run for the board or to serve on the board. If your bylaws, articles, or CCNRs do not discuss a code of conduct, you or don't require it, you can't mandate that a candidate who is running for the board sign it. So your management company is stretching it in a big way, and I, I don't think it's enforceable. So you can refuse. Um, the risk that you run on that is if you don't sign the code of conduct, you know they may not put you on the ballot for the annual meeting, meaning the board or the annual or the management company. I think they're wrong in not doing that, but you may have to go to you know the Arizona Department of Real Estate, file a claim have a hearing with the Arizona Department of Real Estate with a administrative law judge to get you on the ballot. And I think you'll win, or you may have to file a lawsuit to get on the ballot. So I hope that your association's board recognizes that they can't do this. Really what they should be doing, I mean, on the flip side of this is, you know, a majority of the board can just adopt the board code of conduct. Um, you don't need unanimous consent of it. You can just, you know, have a majority of the board adopt at a board meeting. Hey, we're going to follow this code of code of conduct as a board. But if one of the board members refuses to vote yes, or if one of the board members refuses to follow it, then of course, the code of conduct cheat sheet that we have is, I mean, it's it's watered down. I mean, there should be no objections to it. Basically, you have a fiduciary duty to act in the best interest of the association, keep things confidential, avoid conflicts of interest. I can't imagine why a board member wouldn't agree to sign it, but sometimes they won't. So um, a majority of the board could adopt it, but if you have a board member that refuses to comply with it, then you may have to think about removing the director under state law from their position as a director for the association. Okay, fourth question. Our board would like to raise dues, meaning assessments. Can this be voted on at the annual meeting or is it to be done at a separate meeting? Is raising dues a vote decision by the board or by a majority vote at the meeting? So really good question. I'd have to look specifically at your association's documents to give you, you know, an official legal opinion on this. But typically there's a section in your CCNRs that will talk about assessments and it'll say what percentage the board can raise the assessment without a vote of the membership. Usually it's a lower amount, like five or 10%. And what percentage you need a vote of the membership to increase the assessment rate above a certain percentage. So look at your bylaws, your CCNRs, it should typically be in your CCNRs. You know, you can do this vote if it's a type of vote that's a vote that needs to be done as a meeting of the members. It can be done at the annual meeting or it can be done at a special meeting of the membership. And so those are the different options that you have as you navigate this dues increase. Make sure you're talking with your association's attorney. And I think I am the legal counsel for your association because you want to do it right. If you're increasing the assessment rate and you don't follow what your documents state, it could be challenged and you may have to return all the money due to the increase. So you, you want to make sure that you are handling it in a legally proper way according to your documents. Okay, another question from Facebook, from one of our Facebook viewers. Thanks for being here. The president of our HOA went door to door with another candidate and collected ballots when she was campaigning. Is this legal? To answer your question, is it legal? Yes, the board president is an owner. They have a right to go door to door and collect ballots. Um, the, I guess the 
the question is, is, is it a good idea? Would be my thing. So it's, there's nothing illegal about it. But if I were advising this association, I would, you know, say there's nothing illegal about this, but it it kind of looks bad, right? It kind of looks contrived and like the board is trying to fix who's gonna, you know, be on the board or they're working with. I'm, I'm not saying that there's anything illegal about it. I'm just saying it's kind of hmm, makes you think like, why is there this much interest? You know, and, and there may be very good reason. Maybe this person is a really qualified candidate and the board president is going with this candidate to introduce them. You know, I don't want to think bad in every situation. There could be a positive reason for this too, but it's unusual would be what I would say. And it's not legal. Question six, would you recommend an HOA use the voting techniques to get opinions? You use a poll to get responses from your audience. General questions, city role. If an HOA wants to get a general feel for residents' opinions on issue, do you recommend online questions? This is a really good question. Yes, I do. I think it's a wonderful idea, especially if you're having your meetings virtually and you want to get quick feedback from your owners and attendants, especially with larger associations where you have thousands of members um, and large attendance at your, your board meetings. So sure, I think that's a great idea. I also like the idea of using SurveyMonkey and, and polls, informal polls, just to find out how your residents feel about different issues. Next question. We have been informed by our HOA that we have a board member whose term will be expiring in April. We are due for an annual meeting in April. Is there a required notice, required number of days notice for annual meetings? Also, we have not been notified on how to submit a call for candidate vacancy. Should this process be done before the annual meeting? So we touched on both of these topics today. So good little refresher. So your notice of your annual meeting needs to go out not less than 10 days, not more than 50 days before your annual meeting. So there's a 40-day window where you send out that notice. Really, your board should have some procedure for looking for candidates to serve on the board. There's a vacancy on your board. Whether that is, you know, sending out a letter to the membership, that's one way to do it, talking about it at an open board meeting. Having a nominating committee, these are all different techniques to get candidates to run for the board. Look at your bylaws to see if there's any specific procedure that your board should be following. Okay, you know, should it be done before the annual meeting? Should there be a call for candidates? Of course, um, you know, there should be some efforts by your board to get candidates to run for that one vacancy. Next question, our bylaws mention eligible votes. Can you give an overview of what specifically that means? So it's hard for me to give that uh, a summary of that unless I actually see how it's worded in your documents. But typically, you'll look at your CCNRs and your bylaws for your association, and it'll talk about the board having the ability to suspend the voting rights of an owner. And sometimes it's for non-payment of assessments. Sometimes it's for violations, you know, on their property. Sometimes it's for any unpaid amount that's owed to the association, like fines or attorney's fees or late fees. So you really want to look and see how broadly or narrowly, you know, not being in good standing for a person to vote for your community. So, you know, short answer, if I was looking at this for your association and you were saying to me, you know, how do we determine eligible voters? I would say, well, let's look at and see what your documents say. 
And let's say that your documents say that eligible voters are defined as people in good standing with the community. Okay, that doesn't probably help us too much, right? So then we go look at what the definition of in good standing is. And then it may say that there are no past due assessments or other charges owed to the association. In that case, then we get out the delinquency list and we determine who is in good standing and who's not in good standing. We recommend as a law firm to prior to the, you know, whatever the vote you're taking that, you know, they're going to be ineligible to vote for, notify those owners that are ineligible and give them a chance to bring their account current so that they can vote. So, you know, somewhere either you're going to have, you know, a notice, a special notice that's sent to them, or maybe even the ballot indicates that if you owe any money to the association, you want to let the language exactly however it's defined in your documents that you'll be unable to vote. If you have any questions as to whether you owe any money, please contact blank, you know, and, and give them the opportunity to do that. Okay, next question, number nine. What are the requirements for an HOA management to update meeting minutes? Updated board roster. I have made requests for records and not received information in over 30 days. Um, so I don't know if this person's on the board or if this person is a homeowner, but okay, so how quickly should meeting minutes be updated? So if there was a mistake on meeting minutes, you know, the board will be voting on it at a board meeting and the changes will be made to the minutes. They'll be approved then by the board with the changes and the management company should do it immediately. So within a week or two of the board approving the revised minutes, that would be my best practices. How quickly should the board roster be updated? The annual meeting within two weeks of the annual meeting, it should be updated and new information should be on the association's webpage if that's where you keep it. You've also made requests for records of the association, assuming that you're allowed to see those records under the statute and it's not one of the ones that can be withheld. The board, the association and the board have 10 business days to get the records to you or to respond to you that the records you're not allowed to see under Arizona law. So it sounds to me like things maybe aren't running well at your association. You might want to show them this video just to remind them of their responsibilities. Question 10. At the recent annual election, there were two board members, X and Y, up for re-election. Member X was re-elected. Member Y was not. Member X found out that only two of the five existing board members voted for them. In essence, it appears that three of the board attempted to oust member X. Member X happens to be the president. During the selection of officers, member X offered to step down as president and have one of the others take over. They all declined. Any advice for how to proceed in this environment? So this is tricky. I wish I could say that this is isolated. Having such a large volume of associations that we represent, there is a small percentage where there's a lot of game playing and maneuvering. And so if you're on one of those boards, it, it makes being on the board, serving on the board more difficult, no question, because it's just... Maybe not everybody's acting solely for the purpose to have things be to the benefit of the association and to act in the best interest of the association. Maybe there's power plays going on or maybe people have agendas. And so I think one thing is people are allowed to vote how they want to vote. I want to say that. So if 
three people don't want somebody to serve on the board, well, that's their prerogative. They have the right. They have that choice. Um, it kind of concerns me that you somehow know <laughs> how they voted, which means you probably looked at the the ballots after the meeting. Um, and I, you know, to me, I that's a little odd. I think um, because whoever gets elected, they get elected, and and there shouldn't be any vendettas for how people vote. It is what it is. So, you know, it sounds to me like maybe your board needs like what I would call like a boot camp. And um, our firm does this where we come in and we try to work with boards that have some dysfunction. And we talk about the issues that are causing the dysfunction. We talk about personality types and how different personalities on the board contribute to the theme and the nature of the board. And we really try to work with you to get focused on what's best for the association and not all these petty disputes. So we really would recommend that for your association. We have come out a winner on every one of the boot camps that we've done over the past few years that we've been offering them. It's made a positive difference for many associations that had a high level of dysfunction and they were able to move forward and put aside their differences and just get the business of the association done without a bunch of shenanigans going forward. Okay, next question. What is considered legal notice for a special meeting of the HOA under 33-1804? Okay, so there's a couple places that you want to think about. So is this going to be a regular board meeting? Or is this going to be a meeting of the entire membership? So if it's a regular board meeting, it's going to be the 48 hours notice um, as required for under the Arizona Open Meeting Law for regular board meetings. If it's a special meeting of your entire membership, like for a removal of a director or maybe to vote on an assessment increase or your annual meeting, you have to give notice at least 10 days in advance, but not more than 50 days in advance of that special meeting of the membership. Okay, next question, number 12. Since your last class, we have held our annual meeting. There, we formed a parking committee with one board member and two community volunteers. We are also updating our rules, which were last revised in 2007. Can the group, including non-board members and volunteers, meet with the board in executive session? Or better, must we in an open Zoom meeting as all regular meetings have been held in the last 24 months? Okay, so the question is, can the group, so I'm assuming this is the committee, can the committee, including, let's see, can the group, including non-board members, meet with the board in an executive session? It depends. Is this an executive session topic? Probably not if it's a parking committee. So I can't really imagine unless there's advice from legal counsel regarding something on the parking committee or the parking rules. I can't really see this falling into a category that would be executive session. So I would recommend that you meet during the board's open meeting um, and give your report, which is really the way it should be done so that owners know what the committee is doing. Let's see. Or better, must we in an open Zoom meeting as all regular meetings have been held? Okay, so you could also have these this committee give a report during an open Zoom board meeting, which I think would be the best way to handle it because this doesn't appear to be an executive session topic. Okay, uh, next question. Should an HOA management contract and fee schedule be provided to members via written document request? This has been prohibited by past management firms saying their contract is proprietary. Also, past boards have not provided it. Who decides? We have a new board and want to know how to proceed. Okay, so great question. So let's look at what documents owners are entitled to see as 
under the law, under the, the Planned Communities Act and the Condiment Act. So under Arizona law, the management contract is able to be viewed or copies made by an owner if they choose to you know, make that request. The board does not have to provide compensation information as to how much you're paying the management company to the requesting owner, because that's something that you can withhold from disclosure. So it's my opinion, the management contract should be provided to the owner if they request it. The board has the right to redact or blacken out how much the management company is being paid for various services pursuant to the management contract. But what we advise our clients is don't play hide the ball. We don't usually recommend that they redact anything from the management contract when they provide it to the owner. Why? Because there's so many other places that the owner can look to find out how much the management company is being paid. They can look at the budget. They can look at the bank statement. They can look at the financials of the association and, and figure this out. So why play hide the ball? It looks like you're hiding things. Now, the management company saying that their contract is proprietary is unusual. The owners have a right to see it. And it's, it's not like a trademark thing or copyrighted thing. I mean, it's, it seems odd that they would be saying that. And, you know, the associations that have problems are the associations that play hide the ball and cover up stuff like this. The associations that are freely providing information to their residents and not hiding things that people are are interested in and want to know more information on, they're going to have fewer problems. So you've heard my take on it. I think you should provide the management contract. Why would you hide it? Okay. Um, and if the management company is trying to pressure you in any way saying, we'll sue you if you give up this proprietary information. I mean, I really think you need to escalate this to your legal counsel because that just isn't right. The management contract is not proprietary information. They were selected as a vendor for your community and they're, they've been hired. It's not like you're in the bidding process and the number that they're bidding is important for another management company to see because they might be able to underbid them. It, we're just not in that situation. So I just, I, I don't at all understand why they're saying that the, the signed management agreement for the association is proprietary. Okay, next question from one of my favorite clients. When the board makes policy changes, we approve the change and then have the policy read at two meetings before implementation. This can be quite time consuming. Is there a preferred procedure for policies? Okay, I would say just knowing your association, because I, like I said, you're one of my clients, you, I believe you have this requirement in your bylaws. So you have to do it this way because your bylaws for your association require this. But 99.99999% of associations in Arizona do not have this requirement. And so this may be something that if it's becoming too time consuming and burdensome, this might be something that you're going to want to amend your bylaws or your rules to take this out so that you don't have to do this. Most boards discuss, you know, whatever they're going to be discussing on a policy. If they adopt it, the homeowners are notified of the policy and that's that. Everybody moves on. You don't have reads through. It's not like this is like almost a legislative process for your association. Most boards are significantly more informal. They vote on it. They notify the owners. They move on. Okay, next question. Does a proxy vote count from a board member to complete a quorum at a board meeting? No, it does not. If a board member cannot attend the meeting in person or virtually, they cannot give their proxy to another board member to vote on their behalf. Okay, question 16. And it looks like we have 20 questions, so we've got about five more. We have no community center. 
are we required to rent a venue in order to include all members, including those who do not use electronic methods? I'm assuming that this question is asking, so, okay, so we don't have a community center on our property. Do we have to rent a venue, maybe for your board meeting or your annual meeting, to include people who aren't appearing virtually or electronically? I mean, I think you have to look at what's best for your association. So is this something where you have common areas where you could have it on the common areas? Is this um, something where you could go to a library and rent a room at a minimal cost? Could you just have it at somebody's home and, you know, have a virtual setup and then the people that don't have virtual access, they can come in person. I mean, there's no right answer here. Are you required to rent a venue to include all the members? You know, no. But if members want to attend, listen, and participate, you need to give them avenues to do that under the open meeting law. So you'll have to just think about if you're having issues finding a venue, should we be doing this all virtually? Should we be doing it hybrid? Is there a place in the community that's free that we could meet? A lot of associations just manage this without having to spend a bunch of money. So I think just really think long and hard. If you have any questions, you're welcome to call me too. And I can help you discuss this further. Okay, next question. Is a board member that issued a cease and desist letter to a resident legally allowed to share in part or whole any part of the cease and desist letter with other residents? So we typically see cease and desist letters where there's some sort of harassing behavior between owners, maybe, or between maybe an owner and a board member. And a letter is sent saying, you know, cease and desist from behaving in this manner, or maybe cease and desist from any contact with this person. Is it something that we would share with the community? It depends. In cases, yes, it is shared. If there's questions as to what's going on, or maybe there's a high level of harassment, or there's misinformation being distributed throughout the community. Um, but is it something that we normally share? Probably not. But there have been times where it has come up and it's needed to be shared to provide response, maybe to an owner who's maybe putting misinformation out there or whatever. Um, whenever you get into the cease and desist, so I mean, it's usually there's a level of dysfunction in the association. And that's too bad. Hopefully, we're hoping that owners and the boards can work together to resolve their differences, and, and most boards do. In another HOA, the board is meeting in small groups and making plans for things like assessments. They are trying to get past the open meeting law by discussing things in small groups or by BCCing emails. Is that allowed? So if it's less than a quorum meeting in a small group to discuss association business, yes, that is allowed. If it's less than a quorum discussing things by email, yes, that is allowed and you don't have to follow the open meeting law. If you're sending an email to board members and maybe one board member or less than a quorum and then you're BCCing the rest of the board, be careful on that because that sounds like a violation of the open meeting law. Next question. If an HOA has an annual meeting virtually only, how does the voting in person option apply? So really good question. I actually, we were writing an opinion on this this morning for another association. So there's two ways that owners can vote in person at a virtual meeting. So the day of the meeting, there could be a location where the owner can drop off the ballot, maybe the community office, if you have one, vote box that's adequately protected and, and can't, votes can't be taken from. 
having a place where they can deliver it. Maybe it's a board member's home. I don't know. You'll have to think about it. So that's one way to comply with voting in person when you're having a virtual annual meeting. Another way to comply is to have anybody who appears virtually at the meeting who wants to vote take a picture of their ballot and text it to a designated person. We did that um, in the pandemic or email it to a designated person and then that vote is added to the total count. Um, next question. I have not been allowed an email list of homeowners as the vice president of the association. I asked 10 business days and still didn't get it. I'm going to listen to this recording several times. Oh, this is excellent. Big thank you. Well, thank you very much for saying that. Okay, so email lists are kind of, it's a real tricky area for associations. So owners have an expectation that their property address at the association and that their names are public record. And that if an owner makes a request to see the name and address, property address of an owner, that that is something that we would be required to give to an owner if they requested it. Emails, cell phone numbers, home phone numbers. There's an expectation of privacy by the homeowners. And so if the association is collecting that information, the association really should be asking the owners, is this information that can be disclosed to third parties or is this information that is personal information that should not be disclosed? That's, of course, best case scenario that your board has that information and they already know how the owner feels about it. A good way to get that information is to ask that question on your annual meeting ballot and then put that in the owner's file. So you know, they vote, yes, this can be, this is private information. I don't want this disclosed or this can be disclosed to anyone. I'm guessing that your association doesn't have a policy like that. And you just, by chance, you have email an email list of owners. It is private information, personal information, in my opinion. So I can see that information isn't being given to homeowners. You're the vice president of your association. And typically, this information would be shared with all the board members. But if you're planning to send out an email to these people via email, Owners, you know, in your association, I think that is a breach of your responsibility, your fiduciary duty to the association. So those emails could only be used to send out a communication that's approved by a majority of the board. That would be my take on this. Last question for today. What is considered proper notice of a special meeting of the board? 48-hour notice under ARS 33-1804. How specifically should the board notify everyone? Can the website be used? Is an email blast appropriate, et cetera? Okay, really good question. So if you're having a special meeting of the board, you know, you're going to want to give the 48 hours notice under Arizona revised statutes. And you can give that notice of meeting to a special meeting by putting it on your website. You can send an email blast out. You can post it in your common areas, but everything it needs to be sent at least 48 hours in advance of the meeting. Thanks again for joining us today for class number three of our 2022 Virtual Condo and HOA Academy. I want to thank again the neighborhood service departments from the cities of Avondale, Chandler, Glendale, Goodyear, Mesa, Peoria, Phoenix, Scottsdale, Surprise, and Tempe 
for your teamwork and continued partnership with Mulcahy Law Firm to put together these amazing virtual classes. These classes are providing free education for hundreds of board members, managers, and owners throughout your cities. And I think you can see from the number of questions that are asked and from the participation here today that these classes are really needed and appreciated by the residents of your respective cities. Don't forget a couple reminders. We have our next live virtual First Friday event on April Fool's Day. I wonder if we're going to be doing any April Fool's jokes on you. And we're going to be um, answering questions uh, for free live starting at 9 a.m. on Zoom and Facebook Live. If you want more information on this, you can go and check our website at mulcahylawfirm.com and click on our upcoming seminars. We're also going to be doing four classes with the City of Chandler coming up here um, starting on April 13th and into May. Um, so check out our website for information. Those classes are going to be in person. And of course, we've got our virtual class every month with the Neighborhood Services Department from around the Valley. And class number four in April is going to be held on April 19th at 11 a.m. on Zoom and Facebook Live. And we're going to be discussing people problems and how to handle difficult owners and disgruntled owners and difficult situations in your associations and you know all the different people problems that come up when you're managing associations, serving on your board. Maybe you're a homeowner that's having problems with your board. Maybe your board's difficult. So we're going to cover all these topics and more. And I hope you'll join us for our next class number four of our 2022 virtual HOA Condo Academy on the third Tuesday of April, April 19th at 11 o'clock a.m. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Um, we appreciate you being here and we'd be so appreciative if, if you enjoyed the presentation today. If you would take the time to give us a review on Google, Yelp, Yelp or Facebook, um, and that allows us to get the word out that these classes are uh, beneficial and helpful to many owners and board members and managers. So again, if, if you wouldn't mind, we would appreciate very much um, a nice review of the classes on Google, Yelp, or Facebook, formal Kehi Law Firm, if you're so inclined. So thanks again for being here today. Everybody have a great month. Happy St. Patrick's Day, my absolute favorite holiday of the entire year. Dad back in Wisconsin is planning a whole week of St. Patrick's Day events. Um, so I'm looking forward to um, celebrating St. Patrick's Day this week with a green beer and some corn beef and cabbage, even though I'm the only one in my family who will eat it. But anyways, hope you all have a great St. Patrick's Day and I look forward to seeing you again next month. Take care, everybody. Be safe and have a great week. Don't forget our free cheat sheets are available for download at mulcahylawfirm.com. The antenna bar Zoom, Facebook Live, First Friday free call-in, videos and podcasts is to provide a forum for board members and community managers to receive answers to HOA and condo legal questions. Please note, the content of these sessions are general in nature and is not intended to and should not be relied upon or construed as legal opinion or legal advice regarding any specific issue or factual circumstance. You should directly consult with an attorney for advice regarding your individual situation.